In this issue of Nerdcraft Nation, the hosts discuss the superhero content on television that's not kid-appropriate, focusing on Amazon's The Boys, HBO's Watchmen, and what this genre of superhero content will lead to next. Also, a content warning for this episode, there's discussion of sexual assault and mental illness throughout the episode. I'm Chris Walker, and this is Nerdcraft Nation. I'm Chris, and we have with us Austin Hall. Hello. Jose Lopez. Hey, everyone. And Brandon Kessley. Hello. So now we're going to have a discussion on the more mature comic book content that's coming out recently, which honestly feels kind of due over time when you're in a marketscape where a lot of critical acclaim goes to Disney-affiliated movies from the Marvel Universe. There's clearly going to be a gap in terms of mature content. So let's go around and get everybody's thoughts. You know what? I want to get into one thing specifically. Jose, what are your thoughts on The Boys? You got me to watch it, honestly, and you've put forth a lot of extensive points on the show, so I wanted to hear your thoughts on that specifically. Yeah. Well, for The Boys on Amazon Prime, I love that show. I think it's one of the better mature TV shows we've gotten in recent years in terms of how it can balance the gory stuff with actually adding to the overall story of how heroes would interact in the real world. We have a character like Homelander, which is basically like an evil Superman that just goes ham on everybody that doesn't agree with what he's saying. And that's kind of like an effective way of deconstructing like a lot of things that DC's tried to do of the hypothetical statement what if Superman turned on us it would be something like this so it would be somebody even more dangerous than just an evil Superman this is an evil Superman that pretends to be good so we never really know if he's gonna shake your hand or kill you with his laser beam vision and I think that's a really interesting position to place superheroes in and really focusing on the human characters and how they interact with these superheroes that are basically just super assholes at the end of the day and that way we see the different facets of how these superheroes who basically are just like big time celebrities interact with normal day-to-day folks and how like a lot of celebrities they kind of like pretend to be woke and care about other folks but really they're just in it for the fame and glory of it but not really because they give a shit would you say that that's actually a really important part to the growing superhero i would say movie and pop culture landscape yeah it's different than what we've seen overall it's not just the same old oh this the guy with the superpower is always the good guy or the villain and sometimes there are shades of gray like we see with the character Queen Maeve which was modeled after Wonder Woman she goes along with Homelander schemes but also has her own stuff that she's dealing with she always feels like she's in this morally ambiguous line of what should I do where should my allegiances lie and 
another character like Starlight is like the newcomer of the group and has to deal with real world issues like sexual harassment in the workplace, trying to balance it all, trying to have a normal life and also being a superhero on the down low, trying to balance relationships and work. Things that we can all identify with, but in a larger than life landscape of superheroes. Very good point, actually. I keep forgetting that that show takes uh, being a superhero, puts it more as a professional career kind of akin to My Hero Academia or even a a darker version of the Avengers like you just said. Brandon, what are your thoughts? As a as a disclaimer, Jose also got me to watch the show. So <laughs> I think uh, Jose got a lot of people to watch that show. Yeah. So definitely, you know, Amazon Amazon, Amazon if you guys have any um promo checks, send them Jose's way. But I thought the boys was actually a very well put together series. And I know it's not necessarily something that is taken verbatim from the comics, but I thought there was something that adapted itself to modern day extremely well and it handled present day issues and current issues and the whole idea of celebrity culture and the responsible use of power and whether or not people who get that kind of power one are they people who are trustworthy and two are they real i mean like one of the big topics was about the corporatism of it all i mean not just people being fake on social media and stuff like that like starlight thought she was born with her ability <laughs> and that was a really big part of the journey i thought it was very interesting how they really weaved the different levels of trauma through people's storylines and that's something that i think is a consistent theme throughout a lot of mature superhero content it's something that happened in jessica jones something that happened in daredevil something that happened in joker in a whole bunch of different stories so but i thought the boys just really handled everything really well and like captured the balance of the average joe going through trauma caused by superheroes and then the superheroes themselves going through their own trauma like Jose had talked about with Starlight being sexually harassed and stuff like that and even going further later on when the deep kind of gets karma later on I forgot about the deep for a second there Austin what did you think of the boys it was messed up and I consider that a compliment because <laughs> it was supposed to be gotta say that Jose got me on to the boys as well so Jesus Jose you getting this free Amazon Prime for a year now yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a tough adjustment for me because I still have a childlike wonderment with superheroes. And to see them be so evil and violent was really tough. I mean, in the first couple of episodes, I strongly considered not even watching the rest because it was so violent. Not violent in the, what we saw, but violent in the intentions of what was set up, the main thing being Starlight being sexually assaulted. But by the end, they approached sexual assault, which is an extremely disgusting act, to put it lightly. In the art world, a lot of us don't really know how to approach that subject in a way that's fair to the subject itself and isn't glamorizing it or using it as a way to just be graphic. And I think the boys handled it really well. At the end of the season, we have the deep who committed sexual assault at the beginning and was raped at the end. And I don't know how to feel about him, and I don't think you're supposed to, because he's been on both ends now. He's been the perpetrator and he's been a survivor of rape so yeah i mean there's a lot of gray areas that i mean it could have gone sideways so many ways the way that the subjects that they tackled and it, it didn't it made things real in a way that you can get a glimpse at how this can affect people in a way that is very hard to pull off like i just said and you, we don't see that much so i mean the rest of it you know th 
There's the corporate that they need to deal with. There's the weird sexual tension between the Superman type character and the mother figure, I guess is the best way to... Yeah, she's yeah. like his boss, but also in a weird sexually mother fetish Oedipus yeah. complex the kind of thing going on there. Very Oedipus complex. Yeah. So I'm invested in the show now because I it's gained my trust that it will approach topics that aren't easy to talk about in a mature and real way. Yeah, I think and, that that's one of the strengths of the show, definitely. And it's not just dark. I mean, obviously there are very fun and silly parts to it as well. One of my favorite parts is when... Two of the characters are deciding whether they want to stay and take down the, the superheroes or not. And then Butcher, he talks about the Spice Girls and <laughs> brings them together. So that was, that was <laughs> yeah. Bad. I think the show has a very good balance of mature to comedic content to it, but also just gives, I don't know, a more realistic portrayal of what would happen if this was all based in the real world, which kind of gradually comes to a question that I've had about a lot of the comic book movies and things like that that we've seen. So basically, Disney owns Marvel. Disney does not allow cigarettes in movies. So in a landscape where we have an Iron Man that's not an alcoholic and on screens... Do any of you think that having more mature content out there, do you think that it's necessary or unnecessary? Well, I think if Marvel's not going to have it, then it's good to get it some somewhere else, as long as it's handled well, like we've discussed. Yeah, I agree with Jose. I, I'd also want to maybe just bring it back a bit to when Marvel did the Netflix shows, those were effectively produced by ABC. So technically, Disney did still do that, but they're just kind of sweeping under the rug because it doesn't really connect to the Marvel movies as much. In other but even then, movies. they didn't smoke in those. You never saw the kingpin with chopping a cigar. That's, That's true. That is, that is a fair point. Yeah, I, I think it does... Well, to answer your question, Chris, I think it really depends on how you really define mature and how you really handle that. Because like Austin said earlier, there are a lot of ways that the quote unquote mature content can go off the rails, a la Deadpool, where it's just a bunch of like graphic violence and profanity for the sake of, of having it. And that's kind of like my concern that I had with, you know, them trying to, to do like a super graphic or quote unquote mature Batman versus Superman and stuff like that with this with the Snyderverse. I think it is necessary in the same way that that like like art or politics or anything needs multiple pr perspectives. I don't think that it makes sense just because it's a fictional world that you you shelter and shy away from people you shelter reality from people even if it's something that's that's not a real story like just because something is a fictional world doesn't or like just fictional characters taking place in a real world doesn't mean that people don't have their vices and it doesn't mean that you have to go like gratuitous with it you know disney's a family-oriented company and so they're going to want to to protect children from things even if children are living in homes with parents who smoke or other people who smoke or drink or things like that and they on one hand they may be trying to be cognizant of that on the other you know i don't know i can't really speak to that i think you need both though like jose said if Disney's not doing it, then someone else kind of has to. But it, I, I don't think it should be done in, in spite, per se. It should just be out of accuracy. No, I get what you're saying there, actually. Austin, did you have something you wanted to say? It depends on how you approach it. Like what we've said before. Yeah, if it's warranted for the story, then I right. think it's right. Like, for Logan, that movie was well-suited for an R rating. It told its story it needed to tell, and it used 
the extent of its rating uh, to the fullest. Whereas other movies didn't need that rating, but got it anyway. In the main core X-Men movies, you don't really need a hard art rating unless I don't know what kind of story you're telling. If you want to go really dark with it. Yeah, actually, Jose, I'm glad you brought up Logan because like Logan and Joker are kind of two halves of the same coin. Just one's about a character that's a hero and one's about a character that's a villain. But like they really both kind of deal with that area of how far is too far in sense of, of mature storytelling in in these series but but one thing that i think disney not just disney just in general like having superhero content just like having the stigma of like being too kiddie and stuff like that and then having people kind of react to it by making gratuitously violent content and like you know like a lot of drugs and sex and all this stuff it kind of just leaves out the reality that if you go out into a comic book shop there's probably more mature comic book stories than there are kid comic book stories and that's just like the fact that these are all being written by adults and so they're probably going to be putting out their own adult stuff there like their own like life and and drawing from their own experiences to create these stories yeah now thinking about it that you mentioned that i think like more of the more famous comic book storylines from across all between Marvel, DC, and other comics are the more mature ones. Like in Demon in a Bottle from Iron Man. Yep. Civil War had yep. a lot of adult themes and contents that sort of made its way into the movie. Yep. But also we have other stuff like from DC, The Dark Knight Returns, The Killing Joke, where they deal with uh, rape and assault. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Identity Crisis deals with rape and... Uh... There's a Nightwing storyline with, with Tarantula. Yes, that's it. But those themes are clearly layered throughout the comic books and they to certain degrees are slowly starting to come about come out into the film and television media more so now i think it's all honestly been gradually done i think you have to grow with people so you can start out at a certain level but you have to gradually bring people into certain tones i think that logan is probably the most deserved r-rating movie i've ever seen in my life joker actually so i'll leave this question for brandon and jose did you guys think that that was worth an r-rating other than just the amount of fucks were said i don't think that it necessarily needed to be a rated r to get the point across yeah i'm trying to think of like anything besides the language that would warrant an r rating well i mean probably some of the blood but even then that probably could have gotten away with pg-13 i mean yeah you could go with a hard pg-13 on that yeah yeah, I, I don't Maybe think the it more actually... graphic scenes when someone like he shoots a uh, Murray in the face. Yeah, but like yeah, yeah, yeah like, that could have been easily edited to a PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't think they actually needed to be rated R. Also, I, I do want to go on the record saying like I thought Joker was a good movie. I thought it was overhyped on both like the side of the people defending it and the probably the side of the people criticizing it because like it. I feel like the honest trailer actually got it exactly right. Where it's like everybody's hot take about the movie was wrong, including the directors. Like it was just it was really weird to like experience to walk out of that movie and be like wow everybody had had a preconceived notion about this movie and none of them none of us were right <laughs> yeah that's actually pretty accurate accurate yeah i mean my biggest critique of the movie is that i think that it was just a retread of taxi driver and i recently found out that that's basically true yeah it's taxi driver but also the killing joke at the exact same time so yep. it is what it is and it would have worked just as well they didn't have to go through all the trouble of changing everything that said new york to gotham yeah we know it's new york, new york. <laughs> that's true it's a fucking where are those steps movie? at those steps are in the bronx yep yep yeah like literally everything was in new york it's a fucking scorsese movie with, with some dc paint yeah, yeah. basically 
I don't think I've brought this up on the podcast before, but I think that every time a movie depicts Gotham, it either chooses it to be Baltimore, New York, or Chicago. Pretty much. Yep. Which is why my favorite Gotham is still the ones from the Burton movies, which were all just on a stage set and they look like how I imagine Gotham City would look like. Lots of like gothic gargoyles and darkness and statues all around. Yep. So basically Chicago. That's the Chicago one. Yes, but not blatantly Chicago. Not yeah. like the sex night movies where it's blatantly chicago exactly and then or even the, the christopher nolan, nolan movies. yeah the nolan movies yeah it's blatantly the chicago. nolan movies are blatantly chicago yeah although except for the last movies, one i was just about to bring up in the snyder verse um that's kind of baltimore-esque and then in joker gotham is somehow new york when in reality it's probably a weird chimera of all of those you get mad tax breaks in atlanta yeah for filming television there but back to the point at hand i actually was going to bring up the harley Quinn show because that is distinctly a very mature cartoon in and of itself. I think it is kind of an, another point that's necessary in this that the mature content that they deal with gradually improves over time, I would say. Or it's a mature show. It knows it's a mature show. It knows that it has more free reign than other shows, I would say. Austin, how did you find the Harley Quinn show? I really liked it. I thought it was well done. They know what they were trying to do, and they succeeded. It's, to a degree, I think, what the Suicide Squad movie was trying to be, and came up short, and I think when you what get... What do you mean? Well, because it, it's fun, but, like, twisted and weird, because you're dealing with villains as the main characters. So, the swearing felt out of place, though. Like, there are times when I feel like they were just swearing just to swear, because they could get away with it. I would have liked to have had the swearing feel more uh, natural. But other than that, it was really interesting. They showed Joker a side of him that I think we all kind of knew was there, but didn't really broach that too far as him being a manipulative and a terrible person to be in love with. I thought I really liked Batman. They got Batman right. Who knew that Clayface would be funny? Didn't see that coming. And my final point is I really liked what they did with Bane where they, they kind of made fun of Christopher Nolan's Bane with the voice. It really worked. That's actually my favorite part of that show. <laughs> The Bane voice. Oh, the yeah. Bane I voice. Love that. Aside, aside love the Bane voice. Aside from Poison Ivy, the Bane voice is my favorite part of this show. Oh, yeah. Huge. I think that that's super underrated. I think I also find it hilarious that they will not give him a Latin American accent like whatsoever. But they talk about Santa Prisca at different points, and you're just like, uh, is aren't you the Caribbean? Nope, nope, nope. I'm gonna stick with this very weird Dutch Boer accent right here. Dutch South African Boer accent. Yes, I will break you, Batman. Christopher Nolan's one great catastrophe as a director was that voice. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Jose, what did you think of the show? I love the Harley Quinn show. Besides Young Justice, I think they're doing really well with this other cartoon content. I hope they keep more shows like this. It's shown us another side of Harley Quinn that we haven't really seen since the original Batman animated series. It's very dark, but in a good way. It, It knows when to take itself seriously and when to crack a joke. 
I love what they're doing with a lot of the lesser known villain characters like Dr. Psycho, uh, Clayface, like Austin mentioned, he's just super theatrical and funny, how they're teasing that relationship with Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, and how they bring about all the other supporting characters, like Commissioner Gordon having some PTSD trouble going on with his wife at home. It's just really funny to see, and it's it's kind of like the breath of fresh air that a, a DC show kind of needed, and just makes me wish that they do more stuff like this in live action, because this would kill in live action. Oh yeah, this would go ham in live action. It'd be great. Yeah, but it would be different than, than other superhero content we've seen before. It's a fresh, unique, but also it feels familiar because the characters still feel, you can still feel the essence of that character going through, even though they're acting a little different than what we've normally seen them. But I think it works well for the show. I feel like Margot Robbie probably has a list of things that she wants to do as Harley Quinn. And maybe this is on there. One of the big strengths, in my opinion, on this show is the voice actors that they got because they have Ron Fuchs as um, as King Shark. And he is hilarious. Oh, yeah. I yes. love him as King Shark. <laughs> yeah, that guy is that his stand up is really something else because he talks about his, his like actual life. He talks about his son who has autism and the guy is hilarious. Like he gives you a good way to look at to refocus your own perspective on yourself but uh brandon what did you think as well so i kind of think the harley quinn cartoon the similar way to the boondocks if we're talking you know like boondocks was still a comic so i it, i think it, it can kind of stretch even if it's not a superhero but where it takes it takes a, la- a layer of almost satire in some sense but it like parodies and satire satirizes those characters while still going into the essence of of who they are so and, and like jose said it does know when to take itself seriously and it knows when to crack a joke like it lets those heavy moments breathe and then it lets other moments be played for laughs even if something is very like dark and it, it is it is effectively a black comedy like it's not it's not something that's just like oh yeah like woo it's in some sense it is but it's not like a, it's not a happy-go-lucky series per se it's it's kind of it ebbs and flows and it has like a emotional roller coaster but i really enjoyed it i appreciated it i actually i think it took me until the second episode to really kind of get it to fully get into it the first one was it took a little getting used to kind of like the live action titans show it was like okay i i was laughing but i wanted to know where the show was going and then once i kind of got more out of the other episodes i was like okay yeah i can appreciate this talking about the voice acting like you said i really love lake bell as poison ivy i think she was she's fantastic i thought that there was a really missing loop for a lot of masturbation jokes that would have been very appropriate also yep There were just a lot of open joke loops that they didn't use. And I was like, the tone here that they're trying to set is actually very smart. There's a difference between being mature and just doing whatever the fuck you want, like Austin has said in the past. I would say that Deadpool does whatever the fuck it wants. And that character leans more towards that at times. But at the same time, sometimes less is more. Whereas this show does more mature content and gradually, like, the first couple episodes are just kind of them doing whatever. But they kind of acquiesce and streamline into a point of why they're doing a lot of the things that they're doing. It's not like the swearing in Titans where you're just looking at it and you see someone say, fuck Batman, and you're like, oh man, I don't... You don't have that much of a beef with Batman. Come on, he's he's not. He's a 50-year-old man, chill. Yeah, instead they have jokes about Batman fucking bats. Yep. The right kind of joke. The right, the right kind of, kind of, the right kind of fuck he, Batman. Yeah, he fucks yeah, bats, yeah. yeah. And it checks out, checks out. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing that I've had a question about for the Harley Quinn show. Is that supposed to be Damian Wayne as the Robin yes. or no? Yes. Yeah, okay. the Robin. Yes, yeah. Dam- Damian is Robin. All right. 
then I I think that that's just going to be a very nice open loop for jokes again. Because truthfully, Damian Wayne's entire existence is just like one cruelly weird joke. Like he's technically a clone when you really get down to it. Technically, yeah. Actually, no, no, no. Talia did get pregnant. I'm sorry. They did, however, try to clone him at one point. Yeah, I'm I remember him having, oh, yeah, having yeah, a yeah. clone. Yeah. Like, That's there it. was Damien that was, like, a natural birth of Talia al Ghul and Batman, and then they also cloned Damien at some point. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, is there anything else anybody wants to put in to the zeitgeist as, at all? Watchmen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I stand by my hot take of the last episode that that should stay one season as is. I agree. No more. Thank I agree. you. I agree. That that was a miniseries. There's no reason that anyone should be trying to make a second season out of that. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I think how they handled the subject matter was really well done. They expanded on the graphic novel without having to retread over it again. I know we've already had the motion comic. We had the Sex Snyder film. I didn't need to see the whole story of it again. I wanted to see more of the world and how these characters dealt with the consequences after that. And we got to see a lot of that. We got to see the returning characters of Ozymandias, Laurie Blake's Spectre now, going to her natural progression is now, uh, I guess, an FBI, head of the FBI, and new characters like Regina King's character, Sister Knight, that really took justice in their own hands based on her personal life experiences and how all those revolved around Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, so I thought it was a really well done story overall. I really like what they did with the characters. I have minor gripes here and there with some of the story decisions that they made, but overall I really enjoyed this last season of Watchmen. Because it's Damon Lindelof from Lost, and he always leaves more questions than answers, and I'm just like, okay, this this part's not making sense, so is it going to make sense later on? Luckily, most of the things that I had questions on did pay off at the end little things that i saw questions on were all like the basic answer was like because dr manhattan can do whatever the fuck he wants and that's that's just the way it is and that's the bottom line because dr manhattan yeah. said so uh austin anything you want to add bringing the story to the modern climate that we have i think they did a very good job of i think he was the senator who wanted to be the president was the perfect encapsulation of the white people who say they're not racist, but they actually are racist. And what I thought was very impressive was almost none of the characters from the original, or at least it felt like most of the main characters from the original comic book weren't in it. I mean, Night Owl wasn't in it. Night Owl was my favorite superhero or anti-hero, whatever you want to call him, from the original comic. And the fact that he wasn't even in it, and I was okay with that, I was surprised by. But that just shows how deeply involved Damon Lindelof was into his part of the story. And instead of overdoing a one-shot comic book, he expanded on it. So I, I was impressed. The way it ended was very good. And I was relieved, like everyone else was, when they said it was just going to be one season. Because there have been so many shows that have gone down the drain simply because they did too many episodes yeah yeah that's fair yep that's like most cw shows they just go on for way too long <laughs> like supernatural is only just ending now and it's on in season 15 wait it's ending like, yeah, yeah it's finally ending oh wow but Watchmen was really good lindelof handled it with such care and the fact that he he, he had such a deep pull for how he was going to handle the characters in the original comic even characters that no one even cared about the origin story for and then made them interesting that was fantastic that entire sixth episode where where sister knight is just nostalgia tripping through her grandfather's memory 
stories and then figure and then finding out everything that he went through on this quest to rid the world of these white supremacists was mind-blowing and some of the most fantastic television i've ever seen like i mean you, i mean sure i talked earlier about how a lot of mature comic book shows deal with characters and their trauma this was just front and center right there where she's literally in her grandfather's memories as he's getting lynched and like the, the aftermath of that and everything that he went through and his conflicting sexuality and all that stuff it was just super fascinating handled really well and it really brought a layer of depth to these characters many of whom we didn't even realize we wanted to know the depth about i mean we also got lube man but that's a different story but i thought watchman was fantastic and honestly some of the best television that we got last year i, I really hope that's they get I, I really hope they get an emmy or two for that show because god that was amazing well i think they already passed didn't it no they're oh be M- oh yeah they passed the golden Globes, but not emmys yeah okay although did did they not even get nominated for the golden Globes? i think they might have gotten like a technical award but i think that's about it jesus christ i will put one thing out here that regina king always deserves awards for whatever she does because she is actually kind of a brilliant actress but um one thing that this show did really well was the portrayal of black trauma which brandon just brought up but that entire six episode is the idea of black trauma the idea that the black experience is inherently a, a dna line of a lot yeah. of trauma generational because trauma. Of slavery generational trauma yes because of slavery jim crow things like that and its handling of that is is very accurate in a way but it's also in this world where where reparations happened where like black wall street gets burned down and then that leads to reparations somehow so i found that to be a very interesting way to take about that tone and yeah. gradually bring that in and to still point out that yes the reparations are, are like a big part of this but big part of the answer to making things right with the black community here in america but at the same time it's not gonna erase trauma it's just gonna be a recognition of what's going on i don't think lindelof blatantly made this point to blatantly make this point but i think that he at least admits that that's a part of it Lindelof yeah. is either super woke or i don't know so, got really good writers so he actually talked about that so the hbo had a three-part podcast series while the show was coming out and so the, it's literally just them sitting down like the host sitting down with damon Lindelof at the end of each third episode so like at the end of episode three six and nine and he just talks about how they went through those story arcs and one of the things that he did mention was that he trusted the writer room and so when he if someone had an idea he, he heard them out and they really tried to work through things together because he wanted to make sure that this was as accurate as possible you know it was it, it was emotionally resonant but also just very like fair to the matter at hand but but he, he didn't want to just give an answer to anything like yeah like like you said in this universe like after the black wall street in tulsa burned down there were reparations that were brought forth in in oklahoma in this series but it also you can also see the repercussions of that and how it really led to a lot of tension of racial tension as opposed to to trying to really level the playing field it, it really asks tough questions you know wh- what are the unintended consequences of certain things can you do something that you that you feel is morally right and yet still have other unintended consequences and that's when they ended up having the the like the seventh cavalry were inspired by rorschach and having all these other different aspects where like austin talked about with senator keen coming back and saying oh yeah yeah by the way uh you know it's really hard to be a white guy right now so i'm gonna try being blue one instead it was a very interesting and well-told story i thought but lindelof did say 
say that he really he tried to trust the writer's room and he did the best that he could to listen when he didn't fully understand something and to, to just work through things and make sure that the story at the end of the day made sense especially within the context of the watchman he also said that he he blatantly used the the black wall street thing after reading tanasi Coates's the case for reparations and that was basically what what set off the whole plot for this miniseries something that i always find very interesting and funny is the fact that a lot of people don't know about black wall street the fact that there was one in tulsa there were a couple others throughout the midwest really it's a very interesting historical point that we don't, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that you don't really learn about in schools because of a number of reasons i.e victors write the history books true yeah but thanks for that discussion you guys now let's move on to everybody's favorite segment hot take and we're gonna start off today with jose your hot takes sir all right so my hot takes this week are jensen ackles after supernatural he should either be hal jordan in the green lantern tv show or do something else in the airverse because if jared padalecki is getting jobs as walker texas ranger jensen ackles has been easily fan casted in other dc projects he was the voice of red hood in the under the red hood movie so it's only a matter of time before you get him in a dc project so jump on that dc also please hire me and chris to write for that show because we will make that shit poppin dude he was fantastic as red hood actually yeah that's what i'm saying oh get him God. in one of the arrowverse shows the green lantern show something because the men could do wonders in that universe so overall for dc movies going forward i kind of really hope they just have ezra miller rope in the robert pattinson stuff into the main continuity because i don't want another reboot i just want to keep the dc stories going forward not backward so that'd be my hot take just keep shit going i would have loved to see like a legion of doom movie versus the justice league i don't know if we'll ever get that now but one requirement is that they have to recast jesse eisenberg because they had such potential three like chris mentioned in a recent article of his the dc animated movies are popping they're doing what the live action movies should have done a long time ago even the worst ones are not as bad as some of the dc live action movies it's uh, true like, and the worst yeah. ones aren't even that aren't even conceptually that bad yeah like most of them are pretty good overall they have solid arcs but yeah they've been killing the game with animated movies and i wish they either had the creative team or the same ideas going into the live action projects because that would work wonders for dc like if they had a superman Redson that was like just a one-off movie that would be great gotham by gaslight fantastic bring it on and then main continuity movies where we have like a consisting storyline that leads up to apocalypse war fantastic bring that shit on in live action i'm all here for it i'm hoping warner Bros. either gets their shit together or figure something out because i can't wrap my head around how their animated content is just leagues better that's completely fair and a very good point brandon what says you i got two things one love is blind is a very fascinating dumpster fire i hate reality tv i somehow managed to end up getting roped into watching this or I don't know what drew me to it maybe it was coronavirus but it's really interesting seeing a show this bad like you know when garbage is burning and you can just smell it a mile away but you're also like fascinated when you see it because sometimes you just want to know like you want to see which way it falls as it's burning that's kind of me watching this series right now oh man that was me watching the last season of 13 reasons why <laughs> That entire show was kind of a dumpster fire. Honestly, now. Oh, yeah. Season two and on. One at least warrants his existence, but season two and three, no. No. All right, well, my last hot take, Rosario Dawson is bae, and I'll fight Cory Booker if I have to. Oh, they're still boning? Cory Booker's got a lot of weird juice out there. Like, I 
all the sense in the world and no sense at all. At the same damn time. At the same damn time. Who does he think he is? Future? Rocco? Yep. Well, I'm all in for Rosario Dawson as Exogatana. If it is confirmed. If it is confirmed. Don't jinx it, Brandon. Let's hope it is. I'm hoping yeah, it is, no. too. Believe me. She's my favorite yeah, character. don't jinx that. Why would she be on the Mandalorian? We'll find out. Well, they didn't they say that we're going to find some more Jedi at the end of the last season? Yeah. Yeah, but she's not so, a Jedi anymore. Well, well, Fuck your technicalities, man. <laughs> let's just, let just, let just go down. Was she ever a Jedi? <laughs> let her be on the goddamn show. I, I want her on the you show. I mean, all we need, Dave Filoni's working on the show. I don't give a fuck if she's a Jedi or not. Fuck continuity. Well, Let her be on the show. No, it, she's going to be on the show. I can almost guarantee that. Dave Filoni is working on this show, which means the circle will show up. <laughs> Good. For me, my hot take is, actually I have two hot takes, let me make that clear. But the first one is, since we're living in the air of coronavirus, the first movie that comes out when we're all allowed to leave our homes for extended periods from this weird state that we're currently living in is going to do either incredibly well or someone's going to overrate how well that movie is going to do and it's going to tank by comparison to expectations. I think that's a fair take. Yeah, we have no movie releases coming out for the next few months. and I mean, makes theaters logical. at least. Yeah, in theaters. Yeah. So I guess it makes logical sense like the first time we can actually go back to theaters and see one people will flock to it especially if it's like a summer blockbuster kind of movie yeah but i feel like someone's gonna put out here oh this movie's gonna make like two billion dollars and i think that that's gonna be just a i don't know bob i don't know what's going on there that projection would be a hot take in and of itself but i also think that i think getting past 500 million would be a success in and of itself my other hot take has to do with something jose brought up earlier which is the green lantern tv show i don't think that should go on the arrowverse i think that needs to be on hbo max as soon as possible oh it is going on hbo max oh it is okay yeah the green lantern show yeah that's on hbo max is that just a straight up green lantern hal jordan show they haven't announced which lanterns are going to be on it but i'm assuming it's going to be hal jordan and maybe john stewart honestly i think they should make that into a full green lantern corp show and play it more like uh have you ever seen the show southland okay i've heard of it but okay so yeah like a cop show but in space basically yeah yeah that's probably what i'm saying yeah yeah Yeah, i'd love to see that for a tv show and it makes sense for the green lantern Corps. exactly i think that that would project out better yeah uh, absolutely tv show the less time on earth they spend the better exactly yeah chris do you think it should play out more like the emerald knights movie or the one season cartoon show emerald knights that's what okay yeah yeah, makes sense. yeah love that movie so yeah that's 100% a very good agree. point yeah here's a hot take i think cartoon network killed a lot of good shows for no reason other than they didn't know what they were doing exactly oh 100 percent. yeah absolutely a lot and of the shows in there really just boggle my mind like i'm trying to think of like old shows from the 90s like was it because i like them so much or were they also trash because like cartoon network always been trash or has it just gone to be trash and i got to live out the good era of good television so that's a good question i think a lot of what happened was that tsunami and adult swim really carried cartoon network well yeah i was basically talking about like the non tsunami content like cowan chicken dexter's lab johnny bravo those shows well a lot of some of those shows were still getting to tartakovsky weren't they uh, Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls and Powerpuff Girls, yeah, yeah, and I, Samurai Jack. Yeah, so, okay, Samurai Jackson, okay, yeah. no, then okay, then thank you, Brandon. You just confirmed that it, they were actually good, and <laughs> TV shows now are just trash. Yeah, yeah, like there were some, like yeah, there, there were some trash shows, and they 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 left. I mean, like who was really watching the Real Adventures of Johnny Quest other than me? I was. Johnny Quest was kind of problematic because you know absolutely the Indian boy that oh was yeah like <laughs> yeah Stark absolutely and, yeah. But other than that, it was a really good show. But yeah, no, you gotta let shows age off naturally and. 
I think that Cartoon Network never learned how to do that ever. They've let a lot of things just hang around longer than necessary. And they've killed off things a lot faster than necessary. Ben 10 really should not be on anymore. They rebooted it. <laughs> they rebooted Powerpuff Girls too, but they rebooted Ben 10. The Powerpuff Girls reboot actually is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watched that the other day. That was fun. Yeah, I have no doubt that the Powerpuff Girls oh. reboot is good. Yeah. But like, Ben 10 is still on the air and they rebooted it. And I'm like, what? You're... You know it. I think they should just stop Pokemon. No more. Yeah, focus on new characters. He won a like, league. So like... Out. Yeah, he won yeah. a league. Ash, you're done. Like, yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. He's still 10. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's worse than Bart Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're probably just keeping him on for, like, sake of, like, brand recognition because he's already been associated with Pokemon from the jump. But, like, I feel like they should move in the direction that they did with, like, the gold and silver and crystal games where, like, yeah. now that he's finally won, he becomes a legend. And then, like, the, you come up with a new series and he's and he's just, like, the old-ass Pokemon. Man. Well, not, like, yeah. old-ass, but, like, he finally gets yeah, to like grow up. Yeah, like, Legend of Korra, that shit. Yeah, Legend of Korra, that shit. Like, like he finally gets to yeah. grow up and then, like, like, yeah. like, you have new characters, like, exactly. run, like, like come in. Yeah, let him run a gym or even let him yeah. let him be, like, in the mountains with the as Pokemon League champion, the one person yeah. that no, the one person that that none of the new champions have, have beaten, absolutely joined the Elite Four. Who knows? That would also be cool. Yeah, right. Although I, it doesn't right. matter much to me. I don't really watch. I don't watch Pokemon. Well, thanks you guys for tuning in. And everybody, where can we find you? I'm on Twitter at ADW Austin, and I'm on Instagram at A H A L L three two three four. So that's A Hall three two three four, and I'm on Facebook. I don't have a fan page yet, so sorry. That's all right. I, I'd be surprised if you did, honestly. Uh, Jose, where can the people find you at? The people can find me on Twitter at s h one t j a y l o w s a y s, and on Instagram at j d l a ninety two. Thanks, man. And Brandon, where can people find you on the socials? So for Twitter, people can find me at B-C-K-E-S-S-O and on Instagram at L-D-Chocolate. And you can find me, Christopher Walker, at C-W-L-K-R-2-0 on Twitter and Instagram. And that's our show. Hello, this is Austin Hall with the Fact Check. In The Boys, Anthony Starr plays the character of John, a.k.a. Homelander, a take on the question, what would happen if Superman was a murderous, unrepentant, self-absorbed villain? He has a, let's say, questionable relationship with Elizabeth Shue's character, Madeline Stilwell, vice president of Vought International, a corporation that employs Seven and sanctions all of their actions. In the show, there is a scene where Frenchie, played by Tomer Capon, and Martin, a.k.a. Mother's Milk, played by Laz Alonzo, are about to storm off from the group trying to take down the Seven. Billy Butcher, played by Carl Urban, tries to keep the team together by explaining that, as a unit, they are better than as individuals, the same way the Spice Girls are more successful as the Spice Girls than as solo artists. According to an IndieWire article published in July of last year, they note that, in relation to showing cigarettes on screen, the Disney policy holds that it will, and I quote, not to depict cigarette smoking in movies distributed by it after 2015, in parentheses 2007 in the case of Disney-branded movies, and parentheses, and distributed under the Disney, Pixar, Marvel, or Lucasfilm labels that are rated G, PG, or PG-13 except for scenes that depict a historical figure who may have smoked at the time of his or her life, 
portray cigarette smoking in an unfavorable light or emphasize the negative consequences of smoking." End quote. Variety published an article from February of last year in relation to the future of the characters Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, The Iron Fist, Daredevil, and The Punisher, noting that, according to sources, quote, the deal for the original four Marvel shows prevents the characters from appearing in any non-Netflix property for at least two years after cancellation, end quote. This quote, of course, came from 2018, so it's possible we could see them sooner rather than later. Maybe Matt Murdock in the next Spider-Man movie? Probably not, but a nerd can dream. Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy has shot their city scenes of Gotham in a number of real-life cities, including London, New York, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and, of all places, Newark, New Jersey. The Watchmen TV show opens on a scene from the Tulsa Race Riot, which is based on real-life events. The site of the massacre happened in Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and is known as the Tulsa Race Riot, the Greenwood Massacre, or the Black Wall Street Massacre of 1921. It took place on May 31st and June 1st, 1921, when mobs of white residents attacked black residents and businesses of the Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It has been called the single worst incident of racial violence in American history. The attack, carried out on the ground and from private aircraft, destroyed more than 35 square blocks of the district at the time the wealthiest black community in the United States, known as Black Wall Street. The police disregarded due process, arresting blacks and interning them in detention camps. Meanwhile, no whites were arrested during the riot. In the wake of the violence, 35 city blocks lay in charred ruins, over 800 people were treated for injuries, and contemporary reports of deaths began at 36. Historians now believe as many as 300 people may have died. For more information, check out JSTOR Daily and the Tulsa Historical Society and Museum. And that's all for the fact check. Thank you for listening. Nerdcraft Nation is a partner of Pub Square Media and is hosted by Austin Hall, Jose Lopez, Brandon Kessely, and Chris Walker. Our theme music was composed by Daniel Ferris. If you would like to keep up with the show, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerdcraft Nation. Like us on Facebook or subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Be sure to leave a review if you can. If you would like to send us a voice message, please check our show notes for a link to our voicemail inbox.